This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Maybe somebody you could tell. Hello, everybody. We're doing another experiment to see if I can live stream on YouTube and Rumble at the same time through StreamYard. It hasn't worked yet. I'm 0 for 3, but quickly, let me just check Rumble and see if it's streaming there, because apparently I can't spell Rumble. We'll call that up and see if I'm there. That looks like now, huh? Apparently not, right? So, interesting. All right. Can, can anybody confirm that it's not working on Rumble, and then we'll never try that again? Okay. Can you confirm? It's definitely not there on Rumble, right? Okay. So uh, that's the last time I'll try. <laughs> let's do the uh, let's do the opening show, okay? Do 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 do. Because I know you have OCD, and I've got to do it the same every time. Do 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 do. La da da. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the highlight of civilization. It's called Coffee with Scott Adams, and there's never been a finer moment in your entire life. But if you'd like to make it even finer, we call it gilding the lily. You can do that, and all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice or stein, a canteen, jug or a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now. For the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day, the thing that makes everything better, it's called the simultaneous sip. Go. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. There's a whole bunch of people who can't stand um, sipping or eating noises. It's a pretty big deal. Like if you have that, it's like a big deal in your life. And I was just seeing somebody in Locals who, who says they, they mute that part. And, and uh, maybe you should too. So get your finger on the mute button if you don't like to hear that sort of thing, which is perfectly reasonable. All right. Um, news about me. Uh, I believe my manic phase has ended. I'm not positive, but I think it has because I slept so well last night. So I had uh, like a good almost three days of, of a manic phase, and oh my God, those are enjoyable. It's not enjoyable for you necessarily, <laughs> if you have to observe me. It's not necessarily a good day for you, but it's really good for me. Really creative, and I get a lot done, and it feels good. I got infinite energy, but it doesn't last long. Two, three days, and I'm done. Now, here's a little uh, lesson for you on success. I'm going to give you one of the most useful things I've ever taught anybody. And this is in one of my books. People, some people are simplifier, simplifiers and some are optimizers. A simplifier will say, yes, I know it would be a good idea to do this and this and this, but it would be so complicated 
that will make everything break. So instead, I'm just going to do the, the simple thing that I know will work every time, and I will give up you know, maybe 50% of my revenue or whatever because I, I just want it to work. An optimizer will say, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that if I just do these other steps, I can get another 10% of goodness, you know, maybe profit or whatever, whatever you're looking for? And I would like to uh, submit the simplifiers be optimizers. Now, not every time. <laughs> Optimizers work, the optimizing works often enough that it becomes addicting. And you'll think, oh, that one time I optimized and it worked great. I better do that every time because it was such a good hit when that worked. My dopamine felt good. So you can get addicted to optimizing even though it's the worst strategy. All right, here is your perfect example. For maybe two years, my followers here on Livestream have been asking, and it's a reasonable ask, to Livestream on Rumble at the same time I'm doing YouTube and and, uh, Locals. And I looked into it, and I realized that I uh, I couldn't do it in a simple way. A simple way would be add another device, because I had separate devices for the two platforms, and just call it up, just like the other two. Now, that would have been more complicated than having two, but in all cases, it's just putting on a title and saying go. But Rumble has this, uh, doesn't do a direct live stream like that yet. You have to go through StreamYard. And I've been telling all of you, everybody who asked me to do the Rumble, do you remember what I said for two years? If you add a little bit of complexity, just a little bit, the entire live stream will fall apart. And I know that seemed impossible to believe because it looks like, you know, I just turn it on and I go, right? But I promise you, I have lots of experience in this domain (laughs) of adding complexity to a simple thing. It breaks it every time. So the only way I could get past the why don't you use Rumble is I had to do it right in front of you. I had to show you that that, that that little extra complexity makes the whole thing fall apart. So this is the third day in a row in which I completely know how to do it. All right? The problem is not the learning curve. I absolutely know how to do this. <clears throat> Three days in a row it's failed because a little extra complexity is all it takes. Now, what is a little extra complexity? The adding the rumbles step added approximately 35 steps. Would, would you have anticipated that? Now, it's about 35 steps, and I have to get them all right and on time. So the first thing that that did to me is it made my, my wonderful morning um, routine. I love the morning. I love being up at you know 4 a.m., Nobody's around. I'm just doing my business, getting everything done. It's a wonderful time. Making, adding those 35 steps for Rumble ruined my morning. So do you think I would do as much work on your behalf if I hate it as I do when I love it, which is the case every other day? Of course not. No, of course not. You would eventually talk yourself out of doing it. You'd find something else to do that doesn't bother you. <laughs> right? So... So I added about 35 extra steps. Now, what are those steps? 
One of those steps is I have to go get my laptop because I'm using it for other things during the day. My other things are just in place all the time. Then I've got to get the power cord. Then I've got to clear out my my programs that are on there so they're not interfering. I got to I've got to find my microphone because it's not connected all the time. I've got to I've got to rewire everything. I've got to open two different apps, and then I've got to fill in I don't know maybe twenty five fields, probably twenty five fields. I haven't counted them, something like that. Now I also tested it before I went live. So I've now tested going live on Rumbles, on Rumble, to make sure that I know how the software works three times, two or three times. So I definitely know how to do it. Every time I've tested it, it worked. But every time I've gone live, it didn't. Do you know why? Complexity. Yeah. This was 100% predictable, but it wasn't obvious to you. So I did this for you, basically, mostly Mostly the people in locals were asking me to do it. I knew it was going to be a lot of work, and it was, and I knew that the complexity would make the entire operation crumble, which it did, because it ruined my show three days in a row. So this is the last day I'm going to try Rumble. And, and, and just so you know, full disclosure, I own stock in Rumble. <laughs> I'm a stockholder. I, I want Rumble to be the main thing you look at, but it doesn't work for live streaming unless... And let me give you the caveat. If I had a full-time engineer, it would work. Because the engineer would just have it set up. I would just show up and do my show. To go from my current operation, where I wake up happy every day and do stuff I love the whole time, as soon as I add a second person, how much am I going to enjoy that? Can't do it. It would take all of my focus away in the morning. Because the engineer... I'd be, like, preparing my content. And what would the engineer do? Send me a message to tell me there was something different. And then I would be interrupted. And then I'd be, all right, all right. And I'd try to get back to work. And then the engineer would say, all right, we're ready. And I'd be like, okay, you interrupted me again. And now I don't know where I was. I have to go back to that, right? So you can't really add an engineer unless you're adding, uh, like, a whole network show. So if you do it like the Daily Wire, yeah, they have a whole operation. That makes total sense, right? Because they're going for a big market. They're going for bigger money. They can afford that. That makes sense. You, you know, the complexity makes sense in that sense. But there's this whole middle ground where it doesn't make any sense at all. And that's sort of where I'm at. Now, to that same point, CNN had a, actually a, a pretty useful uh, article about attention spans shrinking. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Um, to your point, somebody says Sticks and Hammer does uh, Rumble. I, too, could do Rumble quite easily if it were my only platform. Does that make sense? It's only the adding it to what I'm doing that gets to the, the crumble point. If the only thing I did was one show, I, th- I think actually the software would work if there were only one thing streaming. Yeah. And... Do, I think Viva might have a uh, an engineer. Is that the case? Do you know if he has anybody helping him? Because if he doesn't have an engineer, I will guarantee he does not. How many times has it not worked? Have you seen him have uh, technical difficulties during his show? I think I have. <laughs> I think I have seen it not work, and I don't watch it that often. 
Yeah, he has it. Often he has problems, right? And it, and it totally detracts from the flow. Yeah, he has problems all the time. Sure. <clears throat> all right. So apparently it's a real thing. Our attention spans have been shrinking. There's a, some book on it. CNN was talking about it, and uh, so in 2004, people's average attention to a screen, if they were looking at one, they'd look at it for two and a half minutes. But today that's down to 75 seconds. So you can actually measure the difference in how much we can look at one thing and be happy. Um, and oh, it's now it's down to 47 seconds. I'm sorry. It's actually all the way down to 47 seconds. And here's the hard part. If you get distracted, it takes 25 minutes to refocus on your task. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you're working away happily and you get distracted, it takes 25 minutes to do your task? Here's the explanation. Because let's say you're doing your task, you're working at home, and then the dog needs to be fed. So you say to yourself, I'll feed the dog, then I'll go back to my task. Five minutes, right? Most, five minutes, right? So you go feed the dog, and while you're feeding the dog, you realize that there might be a package at the door that you haven't checked. So you check the door, and there is a package. So you bring it in, and then you think, oh, i got to open this package. I'll be thinking about it. So what happens is it's not that you do a thing and go back. That would only take you a few minutes. What you do is you do a thing that makes you do a thing that makes you do a thing. And that, that's sort of modern life. Everything leads to another thing. You're getting a lot done. It's just you can't concentrate on your one thing. So it's a gigantic problem. And, um, yeah, there's some suggestion that there's something you do about it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure you can do anything about it. I think we've just permanently rewired ourselves to be unable to concentrate. Now, back to my earlier topic... The thing that was so special about being in my manic phase is that that went away. During my few days of mania, or hype, I think it's actually uh, hypomania. I think I was using technically a slightly wrong word. It's like hypomania. So you get the good stuff without much of the bad stuff. And during that period, I could concentrate as much as I wanted. And it was unbelievable. Like, it was like being a different person for a while. Well, I guess I was. Now, I'm going to tie this to yet another topic. If the problem in the modern world is we can't concentrate when there are any distractions, doesn't that mean that if you went to Starbucks or a cafe and there were, like, people wandering around, everybody's talking and shit, that that would be the hardest place to work? Common sense, right? Your common sense says if distractions are a problem... You need to go where there are the fewest distractions. That's where you'll be best. Common sense. Do you know common sense is just magical thinking? Common sense is whatever you decided was true. <laughs> and then you reason backwards to why it was totally common sense. right? Common sense is completely magical thinking. Nobody has common sense except for the, the, simplest, the simplest decisions. right? We all get those right. But as soon as there's any complexity... You know, anything that's judgmental, anything that hasn't been fully settled for millennium, common sense is, is an absurd subjective experience which you convince yourself is a rational experience. It's just, 
is purely an illusion that happens in your mind that you have common sense. Now, you do have it for simple stuff. That, that's why it's so easy to, to fool yourself. You do have it for really easy stuff only. Um, so, but in fact, if you, the studies show it and my experience shows it. If I go to Starbucks and it's busy and there's all kinds of stuff happening, that's the place I can concentrate the best. I don't know why exactly. I'll give you my best guess. The guess is when there are lots of distractions, there are no distractions. There's some amount of distraction where the distraction becomes the background. And then the background just becomes static. It's like white noise. You know, everybody talking equals nobody talking. Right? Now, would would your common sense have ever been able to get to that point? Would you have been able to use your common sense to think your way from, oh, there are too many distractions, so the way I'll solve it is to quadruple the number of distractions? Your your common sense doesn't get you there at all. So don't trust your common sense. (laughs) Sometimes you just have to test it. All right. um, Let me give you the the best explanation I can give as to why the people on Twitter think I'm an entirely different person than the people who watch me on live stream and the people who know me in person. And I think it's this one mistake that they make. And let me, let me explain it this way. If I wrote a blog post, you know, a long blog post, or I did a, lo- a long video in which I said, uh, my car's electrical systems are terrible, they're always, which is true. I have a BMW. And all of my BMWs have always been Christmas trees, meaning the, the front panel is lit up basically all the time. Um, maybe 90% of the time I've ever owned a BMW, I've owned several models, probably 90% of the time there's a warning light that's on. Now, I consider that you know, suboptimal customer experience. Now, suppose I wrote a blog post or I did a video, and that's the only thing I talked about. The only thing I talked about was, damn, these things have terrible or, let's say, suboptimal user experience because of all the errors that are always there. What, what would you conclude about my opinion if the only thing I talked about was what was wrong with it? You would reasonably assume that I had all this time that I could have said there's something good about it too, right? Wouldn't it be reasonable if I left out anything good a reasonable person could say, okay, you talked for half an hour and you didn't mention anything good about the car. Clearly, you don't like the car. Would that be a reasonable assumption? Yeah, it might not be true, but that would be a very reasonable assumption. All right, now, let's say I send a tweet. It's the only thing you see. And my tweet says, damn, I, the electrical, I always have a, let's say, a warning light on my car, my BMW. It's the only thing I tweet. And then maybe, maybe uh, a year later I tweet, you know, why are, the cars, why are the tires so expensive on my model car? And then later I say, I love my car. Then what do the, uh, what do the, uh, uh, the clock birds do? If I say I love my car, they say, do you? Let's check your Twitter feed. Um, you said two things about your car. One, the tires are expensive. Two, 
there's always a warning light on. So where where's the tweet about how good your car is? Where's the tweet about how you love the sound of the engine? Where's the tweet about how you only have to think about where you want the car and it will be there? Where's the part about how the steering is really good? Where's the part about how the, the sound system is excellent? Where's the part about how when you close the door, it's a nice solid feel? Where's the part about how when people look at it, they say, oh, looks like you know how to pick a good car. Where's all that? And the Klopperts will say, oh, you lying Klopbert, you. You've clearly been saying this is a terrible car, and now you're flip-flopping. Or are you on the fence? Are you on the fence, or are you flip-flopping? So here's my advice to you. Twitter is not where you add context. If you see a tweet, you should judge the tweet in isolation. Right? If I say, Joy Behar uh, has a good fashion sense, what should you conclude on that? If that's my tweet. That's the only thing I've ever said about Joy Behar. She has a good fashion sense. Should you conclude as a smart Twitter user, that therefore I'd like to have sex with her, and also her political opinions are gold. Because that's what the Klopberts would say. (laughs) The Klopberts would say, you're only ever complimenting Joy Behar, so I think that makes you a Democrat. Right? So if if you have any confusion about why the Twitter people think I'm literally a different person, It's because they believe the missing part is the important part. Think about that. On Twitter, the Klopberts believe the part I don't say is actually the important part. It doesn't work like that. On Twitter, the tweet is just about the thing. That's the only thing you can conclude. But if I do long form and I leave out something that obviously I have plenty of time to put in there, it probably does mean something. So there's your uh, explanation of how to interpret my Twitter personality, which is entirely different from my long-form personality. Do you accept that? Yeah. Yeah, if, if you only see me on Twitter, I'm a flip-flopping, backpedaling, uh, indecisive guy. Yeah, okay. Well, now we've explained it. Don't have to wonder about that anymore. It's way too much about me. But sometimes you have to do it. All right, uh, Rasmussen uh, asked what people thought about the whole Matt Gates and his band of rogues holding up Congress and the, the speakership. And I was kind of curious about this. But interestingly, 39% of voters say uh, McCarthy was more to blame for the delay. And about the same number, exactly the same, uh, 39% believe that uh, you know Matt Gates and the opponents to McCarthy with the blame. What do you conclude from the fact that there are equal number of people who think McCarthy was to blame versus Matt Gaetz? Give, give me your interpretation. And that means what? I'll, I'll give you my interpretation. There you go. Yeah. Matt Gates won. Matt, Gate, Matt Gates won as hard as you can win. Right? Because what, here's what I expected. If nothing good had come from this, Matt Gates would just look like an idiot. Am I right? If, if the public you know, hadn't appreciated on some level <clears throat> that they were pushing, uh, he would have lost. I mean, he, he rolled the dice. Sometimes you need people who have nothing to lose. 
they're they're very valuable. <laughs> There's probably nothing more valuable to the republic than somebody who has nothing to lose. So his political fortunes were were you know well stunted, but he's back. You know he he became uh, much more of a national name, and he's now branded more for this at the moment than his his other his other uh, actions in the past. What a win! This is like the mo- the cleanest, smartest win in politics you might see this year. All right, here's another story. Apparently, the uh, ex CTO of the Trump Organization uh, has been convicted of his tax uh, tax related crimes. Apparently, he uh, was receiving money in a variety of ways that he had control over because he was the CTO which allowed him to uh, avoid taxes until he got caught. One of those things was he uh, paid a fake check to his wife so she could get Social Security. That's pretty much a crime. <laughs> you know, I, I pay Social Security. I'd, I'd like everybody to get it who deserves it, and nobody who doesn't. But uh, somehow, none of this affected you know, Trump family. This this crime apparently was very isolated to an individual, his own benefit. It wasn't the Trump company benefit at all. Uh, indeed, he defrauded uh, the Trump organization. Am I wrong about that? Uh, this is an interpretation of mine. But if what he was doing was taking money from the Trump organization and treating treating it like it wasn't compensation, that's what he got busted for, so he didn't have to pay for it because it was treated as not compensation. But did the Trump organization get it, get to write it off? I'm not sure they got the same write-off because that's why you don't pay people in cash. The reason the employer doesn't want to pay cash sometimes is because they don't get the write-off. It's just money that disappeared. So I don't know how they handled it. They might have taken the write-off anyway in a different way. But... Uh, This is all a long way to get to the punchline of the story. Uh, Does anybody know the uh, last name of the CTO who apparently did some sketchy things with taxes? What's his last name in the simulation? What would the simulation name somebody like that? Uh, Let me check. Uh, His last name is uh, Weaselberg. Weaselberg. That's a real thing. <laughs> That's his actual name, Weaselberg. Now, I think it sounds racist. You know, that, maybe that's why it's funny. <laughs> so we'll, we'll call that out. We'll call that out as, you know, it may be that it's like vaguely racist, which is why it's funny. But it's the weasel part that's the funny. Like, if you have a weasel right in your name, let, let, let me just give you some advice. If you're looking to hire somebody who will be in charge of your money, hey, I'd like to hire you to be in charge of my money. Uh, Don't hire anybody who has a name like Weasel or a Thief or a (laughs) McStealer. Let's take it into a uh, uh, more diverse domain. If his last name is McTheft, yeah, just think twice. Uh, we got a new CTO. His name is uh, Bob McTheft. Think twice. Think twice. 
All right, well, the uh, FAA computers were down, which grounded most of the domestic flights. Are they back? Do you have an update yet? The flights were supposed to be back online, like right now, but I doubt it. Oh, yes, they're actually back up. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't the most critical system. There was some kind of a notification system that was down, but it was <clears throat> important enough because you have to have your notifications if there's any problems or danger. Um, the thought was that it was not a cyber crime. Nobody hacked them. And do you know um, on what basis the White House spokesperson said it was uh, not a cyber crime? Do you know what evidence was presented to suggest it was not ha- not a hacking problem? <clears throat> oh, none. <laughs> none. But uh, don't worry about it. Now, my guess is it probably wasn't a hacking situation, but it could have been. I, I don't think you could know in the in the fog of war, like when it first happens in the first few hours, do you think the White House knows what the problem is? I doubt the FAA even knows the problem yet. So how can you, you know, rule something out? Uh, but here's my the funniest take. Of course, Pete Buttigieg, being the Secretary of Transportation, he's you know on the, the hot seat. Now let me ask you this: When you first heard that Pete Buttigieg would be the Secretary of Transportation, did you not say to yourself, well, there's a sleepy job where he'll be forgotten and nothing important is ever going to happen? I kind of thought we would never hear from him again. But it turns out that maybe, <clears throat> maybe the Democrats knew how to end his political career. It's like, oh, this guy's getting a, little, he's getting a little too much attention. Let's put him in the Department of Transportation because I think we've got some problems coming. <laughs> that Department of Transportation has some big problems coming. We'd better put Pete there and see what he can do. Now, what in the world can Pete Buttigieg actually do about the FAA's computer problems? Will he make a statement? I'm just going to guess. I think he's going to make a statement saying it's very important that things work properly. Yes, yes, that feels fair. He says they should work properly, and we're going to do everything we can. Pretty generic to make sure this never happens again, and we'll make sure that whoever is responsible is held to account. So problem solved. Pete Buttigieg is going to say some words on television. Do you, do you think he's going to just get in there and start programming? Yeah, I found it. I got it. I got the problem. Or do you think he's going to say a bunch of statements on TV that will cause the person who is trying to fix the problem, ah, I think I found that bug, to get distracted. And if Pete Buttigieg distracts the person, the people trying to solve the problem, how long does it take him to get back to the problem? 25 minutes, according to CNN. 25 minutes. So I think it's hilarious he's going to get the blame, and there's absolutely nothing he can do to fix it, <laughs> except stay, say stuff on TV. But he's good at saying stuff on TV, so at least he's got that going for him. All right, you all want to talk about those uh, classified government documents that were found in uh, Biden's office at the University of Pennsylvania, where he had an office to do some uh, important-sounding things. We don't know if he ever showed up to that office. That was between his vice presidency and his presidency for several years. 
And we know that as soon as that office started, the Biden blah, blah, blah office, that uh, China donated a whole bunch of money to the college. And some of that money may have gone to fund his million dollars a year pay for doing who knows what. So it appears that we have untangled, we, the the right-leaning press and those of us watching, uh, have untangled how the pretty much how the Bidens profit from China and profit from their their positions. And it looks obvious to me. Am I missing something? Is it not obvious that Biden was um, being used as an, an attractor for Chinese funding? And why in the world was China funding the University of Pennsylvania's anything? Well, maybe we should start there. Why in the world... Why in the world was China funding anything at the University of Pennsylvania? Anything. Anything at all. Just anything. Why is that okay? <laughs> well, why is that okay? That should be so not okay. Then we heard the uh, story, if you're watching Tucker Carlson last night, it was another master class. You know, every once in a while there'll be a, a news topic where only Tucker Carlson can do it right. Have you noticed that? Have you had that experience yet? You know, there, there's some things that only Tucker can do right, right? And he just, it was just a master class yesterday, just the way he, he was tying everything together. It was very entertaining, very informative. It's about, as, it's about as good as you can do anything on television, honestly. He is so at the top of his game, it's just fun to watch. Even if you disagree with him, you'd have to agree that his... You know, his work right now is just crazy good on a lot of topics. Um, but one of the things he mentioned, which I hadn't heard, is that there was, we now know that a professor at um, University of Pennsylvania uh, contacted, I guess, Biden's granddaughter, who was attending there. Suspiciously, everybody in the Biden family is smart enough to get into an Ivy League school because he's associated with it. You know, no big surprise there. Um, but she was offered from China to have a, an expense-paid business class trip, hotel paid for, come to China and attend some seminar. And the professor said directly, he said it directly, you know, it's because of your family connection and this is the way China does business. <laughs> and it's just right there. It's like right in front of you. What what possible benefit could Biden's granddaughter have to China? Like, what? China's really like, oh, we'll never we'll never be able to handle our demographic collapse unless we hear from Biden's granddaughter, who's still in college. So you've got this money flow that clearly ended up in Biden's pocket indirectly from China to the University of Pennsylvania to Biden. And then you've got the flow directly to his granddaughter. I don't remember if she said yes or no, but, you know, it was there. Uh, yeah, the think tank, the think tank. So I guess it was a think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. But really it was a fundraising mechanism, it looks like. Yeah, it's just cultural differences. Yes, it's just a cultural difference. The Chinese just like to talk to people who are connected to people. Just a cultural difference. So... Every part of that looks funny, but uh, the funniest part is watching the Democrats explain why Biden's classified documents were completely different 
than Trump's. Have you ever heard me say that analogies never work for winning an argument? And so we have this natural analogy. So people's brains are just obviously going to compare it to the Trump Mar-a-Lago documents. Can't help it. Is that a fair comparison? Well, yes, if you know how to use an analogy, and no, if you don't. Here would be the proper way to use an analogy. Oh, there are some important parts of both of these stories that are similar. The wrong way, the wrong way to use an analogy is the way the Democrats are doing it. Oh, this is so different. Are, are you kidding me? I can't believe the Republicans are trying to make this, they're trying to make political hay out of this. These stories are so different. For example, one of them happened to Biden and one of them happened to Trump. I mean, like, how could you call that the same? What, you think Biden and Trump are the same person? Just listen to Joy Behar. Joy Behar explains it this way. Since we know that Joe Biden is uh, honest and not a thief, uh, as opposed to what you know about Trump, she would say, then you could know that Biden's explanation of why they were there and that it was probably an accident must be true. Because you start with a conclusion that a person is honest and um, he, doesn't, he doesn't lie. There's no evidence of Biden lying, apparently, according to Joy Behar. No evidence at all that he's a liar. Um, but also no evidence of theft, at least in a you know, mugging you with a gun kind of way. And so since we know that Biden is this good person, but we know, by contrast, that orange man bad, uh, people, how can you compare the best man you've ever heard of, Joe Biden, with his honesty? How do you compare that to orange man bad? I mean, that's, that's like nine day, nine day. And so the Democrats have literally, they're literally selling to their public that they can start with the conclusion that he's honest and use that to reason backwards to the crime didn't happen. I'm not making that up. You check for yourself. Joy Behar said that on TV. If you're starting with an honest person, you can reason backwards to know the crime didn't happen. Do you know who was honest until he wasn't? Alan Weaselberg. <laughs> until he was uh, accused and convicted of cheating on tax-related stuff, he had no criminal record. As far as anybody knew, he was, he was the honest guy who never stole anything. Until he didn't. So why don't the Democrats use their same logic? He hadn't done any crimes for 74 years or whatever. Therefore, if you think he did a crime, you can reason backwards to prove he didn't because he's not a criminal. How can you do a crime if you're not a criminal? Duh. Now, <laughs> uh, so CNN and everybody else is trying hard to explain this is completely different. Now, they, I'm using an, an exaggerated example. But the, the differences that they say are completely ridiculous. Sometimes they're talking about the contents, and they're thinking it's completely different because there were different contents. You don't know what the contents are of either one. <laughs> you probably never will. How do you know the contents were different? <laughs> Those two things we'll never know, the contents. How about 
when, when Trump's uh, documents were discovered, <clears throat> the, the Democrats were saying, it's going to risk the sources and methods, and my God, it could be nuclear secrets. And that's totally different than the unknown documents that happen to be about three countries that are the most sensitive in our world. So am I wrong that watching the Democrats try to respond to this is hilarious? I'm not wrong, right? It's literally hilarious watching them spin. It's really fun. Uh, Now, let's see, what else is happening? Um, Here are some things that uh, CNN said. So Stephen Collinson, you might know him. He's the the major anti-Trump guy back when CNN was... More, more directly biased. Um, and and I, I'll give CNN some credit. They've definitely made a shift, but they've got some work to do. They're moving in the right direction toward the middle, but some work to do. And here's how Stephen Collinson's uh, said it. Quote, Republicans are dot, 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 because I'm leaving out an unimportant part of the sentence. Republicans are dot, 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 belatedly voicing concerns. Why are they belatedly voicing concerns? What, what makes the Republicans' voicing of the concerns belated? What, what would you intuit from that? I would intuit from that that they've known about it for a long time and they didn't think it was important until now, so now they're bringing it up because they're going to make some political hay out of it, right? No, the reason it's belated is because Biden hid it from the public until now because he wanted to hide it until the midterms were over. Didn't they hide it until the midterms were over? By the way, give me a fact check on that. I don't want to be wrong on that. It's being reported that they hid it, they knew it, and they concealed it until after the midterms. Uh, Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. All right. So the belated is a uh, propaganda word. Uh, There was nothing belated about what the Republicans did. The Republicans pounced. So so if you're uh, on the left, whatever the Democrats do is either a pounce or it's belated. There's there's no such thing as Republicans doing something in the right time and appropriate way. It's either pouncing or belated. I was pouncing, I was pouncing, I was pouncing. Now it's belated. Too late, too late, too oh, 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 oh. Yeah, I know you tried to transition from pouncing into just right, but you didn't make it. You didn't make it. No, you went all the way to belated. Sorry. Credibility gone. All right, what else? I love you looking at the word choice because that, that's where all, the, that's where all the, the bias comes out. And then this, this again. Um, According to available evidence so far, now, when did a CNN opinion person ever say, according to the evidence so far? Only with Biden. <laughs> do, you, do you think they've ever used that phrase, talking about Trump? You know, maybe they have, but I would imagine it's less often, right? Maybe with Trump, they'd say, what if? With Trump, they wouldn't say, available evidence so far, they would say, it might be nuclear. It might be sources and methods. We may have compromised the entire intelligence operation of the United States. We may have 
surrendered to Russia. That's the way they would handle it. But with Biden, it's like, well, available evidence so far. I mean, so far. So far, Alan Weaselberg has never done a thing. Um, and then the, the next part of the same sentence. According to available evidence so far, comma, Biden appears to be giving it to Americans straight, as he promised to do on the campaign trail. Did he promise to give it to Americans straight on the campaign trail before or after he used the fine people hoax as his main campaign theme? <laughs> Literally, Biden ran on the most well-known lie in American politics. Now, well-known by, let's say, half of the country, but well-documented. I mean, there's no question about it. It's a lie. He literally ran his campaign on a lie. And he, and he still says that Trump suggested drinking bleach. A lie. And he didn't, he didn't say any other kind of uh, disinfectant except light. Now, this is hilarious to me. All right. Uh, but yet, so Stephen Collinson wants to soften this. He, does, he doesn't want to look like some kind of a pro-Biden, completely in the tank kind of guy. He won't, you know, his bosses have told him to like play, play a straight. So he softens that. He says, yet that does not mean we shouldn't have to consider questions about how the documents came to be in that office. Listen to the sentence. Yet that does not mean we shouldn't. When, when do you ever write a sentence like that? It does not mean we shouldn't. Wouldn't uh, another way to write that sentence, uh, Joshua Lysak, wouldn't, it, wouldn't a better way to say, there's a good reason to do this? Shouldn't you say, we, we'd better look into this? There's certainly a strong signal that says we should research it. Why would you not use a direct sentence? Do you know when people don't use direct sentences? It's when they're trying to decrease your reading comprehension. Literally. <laughs> Literally. This is a sentence is written to decrease your ability to understand it. It's written as a, a double negative. If he wanted you to understand it, he would say, it's important we look into it. How hard would that be? How hard is it said to say, you know, we don't think there's anything there? I mean, that's an opinion, right? A reasonable opinion would be there's no evidence of anything bad. True, true. And then, but it's important we look into it. <laughs> By the time you're done with his double negative, you're not even sure what, what he was talking about. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, uh, let's say mid special counsel. Or he talks about Trump as the uh, as the comparison, and uh, also the uh, the Democrats are complaining that the Republicans are are going to take advantage of this for political purposes. Can you imagine that? Oh, can we all share some disgust that the Republicans would really? You, you would try to take advantage of the fact that the guy who's been blaming you for a jailable crime was committing the crime as he was accusing you? Oh, and you're going to make that a thing? Well, suddenly, suddenly that's important. Oh, 
Oh, belatedly? So belatedly, now suddenly it's important if you've got top-secret government documents in your office. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Suddenly that's important. You can't, you can't even describe the Democrat position on this without making a face like you're an idiot. Like I could try. Watch. I'm going to try to, try to describe the, uh, the Democrat view. I'm going to try to keep a straight face and see how long I can maintain it. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Let me try. And we can see that the, uh, the documents in the University of Penn uh, that Biden had there, uh, we can see that there's a, a completely different, very different case than the Trump documents because the Trump documents seem to, seem to have like top secret information. But, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> completely different. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. All right, so I was watching uh, CNN failing on this topic, uh, and a hilarious thing, I don't know the name of the correspondent, but if you saw Anderson Cooper talking to one of their CNN correspondents about this topic, uh, you could see Anderson Cooper understanding what his employer wanted him to do, which is not overly politicize it. And I thought during the, during the brief clip I watched, I thought he did. I thought he actually was trying to cover it as a story which has facts, and then we'll just give you the facts. But his correspondent did the did the uh, the Trump face. Do you know what the Trump face is? It's when it's when a CNN or an MSNBC person talks about Trump, and they do the face. And I'll just make this one up, but it's like, you know, if you're not doing the face, you'd say. And, uh, and President Trump had a very similar you know, situation with his documents. But here, here's the, uh, the CNN face or the MSNBC face about Trump. Like, and a lot of people are saying Trump had a similar situation, but it's obvious it's very different. <laughs> very different. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? And when you see the CNN face, the MSNBC face, that is either I can't I'm not sure I interpret it because I can't tell if they believe what they're saying because because this is a trigger for cognitive dissonance. So in theory, they should be just operating in cognitive dissonance and don't know that they're being ridiculous. I think maybe they don't know, but other times they must know they're lying. Don't you think? It, it does look like they should know they're lying meaning saying that the comparison is inappropriate. It's a very appropriate comparison. <laughs> now, I don't think you should treat one the same just because there's some similarities. They have to still be treated individually. But the comparison is fair. You know, it's a fair comparison. Um, and I actually thought Anderson Cooper was feeling uncomfortable, but that's probably just me reading it into it. Because here, here's something I like to say often. Anderson Cooper is very smart, as are, you know, I would guess, most of the people on CNN. Um, so he must have known, as he was listening to the correspondent, I feel like he knew the same as I did, because it was obvious, that Anderson was trying to do his actual job as his employer wants him to do it, which give, give us the facts. Whereas his correspondent was clearly 
still on the Orange Man Bad channel. Like it's like she hadn't got the memo from from Chris Light, Licked Light. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, the the new boss. And and I felt like Anderson was probably thinking. And again, this is just my mind. I don't know what Anderson Cooper's thinking, of course. But in my mind, it looked like he was being uncomfortable because like. Did you not get the memo? We're not supposed to act like that anymore. It's not all about Orange Man bad anymore. Sometimes we can just tell the news. So I'll make a distinction between uh, Anderson Cooper, who appeared to be playing it the way you would want him to, and his correspondent, whose name I can't remember. Um, So the Republicans, now that they've got control of the House and they've got their own speaker and everything, They're starting this big committee to investigate the, quote, weaponization of the government. Of course, it was approved on a straight party line concept, and they're going to look into um, uh, Biden administration efforts, they say, to influence, well, it's pretty well documented, to influence content on social media platforms. Now, what do you think of that? What is your impression of the, let's talk first about the branding of it. What do you think of the branding of it as, quote, weaponization of the government? Does that sound right? Does, it, does that sound like that's the proper way to frame it? No. <laughs> no. No, if you think that's right, you're just, you're just being political. That is so not right. <laughs> what did I just get done telling you? I just got done telling you that the left was starting with the conclusion. They're starting with the conclusion that Joe Biden is honest, therefore everything he did must have been appropriate. The, the Republicans are trying the same play. The Republicans are saying, weaponization of the government, and they're going to make you think that that's a fact. And then they're going to work backwards to prove it happened. All right. I'll tell you what did happen, for sure. For sure, there were Democrats who took advantage of the fact that they could work with private industry and get a good result. That seems to be a fact. Would you agree? There, there is a pattern of Democrats working with private industry in a way that from the outside it looks like too much pressure and inappropriate for you know, our Constitution and our system. That seems true. So I, I think that the things that they're looking for will definitely be there. But do you think that weaponization of the government is a fair and balanced way to describe what they're doing? <laughs> you know, now I do, I, do get, I do get that they're trying to lump several things together, right? So, for example, if you use the IRS to go after your enemies, I guess Obama did, right? That, that's the reporting. Uh, that would be a weaponization of government. So if you were to take the IRS example and add it to, let's say, the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the uh, Patriot Act, where they're spying on people, that looks like weaponization. If you look at the, uh, the fine people hoax, that does look like a collusion between the Democrats and the, the media. That looks like weaponization. If you look at um, uh, all the other hoaxes, those are weaponization. Uh, if you look at the, the the laptop scheme, you know, saying that the laptop was that that looks like weaponization. So we do have a bunch of ex- examples which absolutely fit that label, right? 
th- th- there's no shortage of well-documented examples that you could put in that category. I just have an objection with, with calling it the weaponization of government, even though it is, because it's a little bit conclusion-y, right? It's a little bit conclusion-y. It's a little too, a little too far for me. And, and let me... Uh, now, now do, you see, do you see how if I tweeted my opinion on this, it would be taken wrong? Right. If I tweeted this, all I would say is that that seems like you're starting with a conclusion, right? It would look like I disagreed with having an investigation. No, no, I disagree with that. So on Twitter, they'll think that I'm uh, I'm attacking Republicans, but if they see the live stream, they'll say, "Oh, I see you're totally on board with this investigation." I am totally on board. But maybe the way they framed it is a little more political. That's all. Just be aware of it. Um, Thomas Massey spoke to this uh, bill and used the word uh, transparency. That's what I want to say. Yeah, he described this as increasing transparency because the public absolutely needs to know. We absolutely need to know what happened. If you're already concluding it was weaponization of the government, you've gone a little too far too soon for me. Just a personal preference. Uh, but yes, when you see Thomas Massey speak, he says rational things that do not seem to be intended for anything except helping the country. Now, he, go, he went further. And he said, make sure you put some serious Democrats on the investigation. He said, they exist. I've worked with them. We've, we've got legislation to get th- uh, through. So get some Democrats on the thing. Now, when he says that, do you think he means it? Or is that just a political thing? What do you think? Can't read his mind. Nobody can read anybody's mind. But everything he is, uh, every action so far suggests he means it. Because he approaches it like an engineer. Right. An engineer just looks at the, the engine and says, okay, this part this part needs to be replaced. The politician looks at it and says, oh, this part's good, this part's bad. Because <laughs> this, this part agrees with me and this part doesn't. Like, but he's just looking at the engine. And he's saying, this engine requires some oil in the, in the form of transparency. And if you're going to add that oil, the wrong way to do it is bipartisan. The right way to do it is with, I'm sorry, the, the right way to do it is bipartisan. So do it the way the machine needs it done, right? If you look at the government as a machine, he's just saying, this part's broken. Here's the oil to fix it, you know, the transparency. So of course we need it, but the transparency won't be effective unless you put some serious Democrats on the committee. Now, you tell me, what politician has said something smarter or more useful than that lately? <laughs> like nothing. Like that's just the most practical, smart, clean narrative. And I'll say everything's a narrative, but some of them are clean, meaning that it's not overly politicized. That was what I want to say, right? That I, I want him to be my president, like just based on that, not just on that, of course. But that's what I want to say. Now, 
And he also said, the very words expressed by those opposed to the, correct, uh, the creation of this select committee um, on the weaponization of the federal government demonstrate the dire need for it. So in other words, the people arguing that you should not have more transparency, that's all you need. That's the whole argument. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that the Republicans want transparency and the Democrats are saying, no, if you get that transparency, you can imagine all the problems. All the problems. See the face. I can't even do it without the face. You have to do the face to say things ridiculous. It's like, oh, we don't want any transparency happening. (laughs) How do you even argue against transparency in public? And I love the fact that Massey called them out. If you're arguing against transparency, we really need some transparency. Like that is a good point. They proved they proved his point. Which brings me to my related topic of useless people. I need you to give me a bias check. Okay. I think there's something going on, a pattern, but I could be completely in confirmation bias territory. If there's one thing I can teach you that I'll try to stay consistent to is if you're having confirmation bias or cognitive dissonance, you're the only one who doesn't know what's happening. So if it's happening to me right now, I'm the only one who doesn't know it, right? Or you you should be able to spot it. So I'm going to tell you what I think is true that even I think is, I don't know, (laughs) <laughs> like I, it's even sketchy in my own mind why I think this is true. All right. So here's my bias, and you tell me. The people that the Democrats put forward as their spokespeople are different in 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 a very important way than the people the Republicans put forward. Okay. For example, uh, Democrats put uh, Adam Schiff, um, Swalwell. Um, on the entertainment side, you would see your Joy Behars, right? So those are the kind of voices that seem to get elevated on the left. Now, what voices on the right? Tom Cotton, serious, smart guy. Thomas Massey, the most reasonable person who's ever held office, in my opinion. Um, let see, DeSantis, one of the strongest, Mike Lee reasonable, strong in every way, right? Now, I know some of you have, like, some Tom Cotton issues because he voted for something that you couldn't avoid. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, what was he supposed to do? It didn't matter. But but you tell me that there's not a, a difference there. Now, I have a theory for why there's a difference. You want to hear it? Do you have a theory? Like an actual theory of how we got here that you could say yes or no to. All right? Here's my hypothesis. Not a theory. It's a hypothesis. The hypothesis is that because the Democrats controlled all the canceling, all the clowns on the right got canceled. If there were more clowns on the right, you would see them more. But they got canceled. (laughs) If the canceling had worked in the other way, Schiff and Swalwell would have been canceled. Am I right? Right? The crazy people on the left have been free to run run around 
and get attention. And the news will always focus on who? The news will always go for the crazy people. But and I'll just give you one example. Now, if you will allow me, I'm using the phrase crazy people as a sort of a approximate stand-in for credibility. Will, will you accept that? When I say the crazy people and the clowns, I'm really talking about credibility, mostly to the other side, because I think the Democrats believe Schiff and Swalwell, right? It's just you look like a clown to the other side. So imagine, if you will, that Alex Jones had never been canceled and that every time there was a national story, the press put Alex Jones on for his comments. And he was still exactly Alex Jones. Nothing's different, right? Right. I'm not trying to insult Alex Jones. I'm just saying as a, as a point of objective truth, he's considered non-credible by half of the country at least. Right. So on the, on the Republican side, they never have to deal with that because they've already been canceled. <laughs> so so if, if Fox News is looking for somebody to put on for a comment, they can't even find a Joy Behar. <laughs> canceled. <laughs> All they can find is like a serious senator or a serious you know, member of Congress. That's all they got. So they have to. Now, what do you think of the hypothesis that the that the canceling worked against the Democrats in a very non-obvious way? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's something to it. It's not the whole story, but there's definitely something to it. And I, I think we need some kind of new name for the useless people, because useless is you know sort of not fun. Um, and also that worse than Watergate guy, yeah, you know, Bernstein. Now the worse than Watergate guy is is literally just a clown, isn't he? Not literally, but you know what I mean. If you bring the worse than Watergate guy on just to say it's worse than Watergate which is all he's done for years. That's all he does. How do you take that seriously? Now, let, let me ask you, what does the right do when they have somebody who's like that? What does Fox News do if there's somebody in their universe who's sort of the Carl Bernstein? They move them to a show on Fox Nation. <laughs> I'm not going to name names, but they, they put their least credible people in, into the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the minor leagues? They put them in the minor leagues. And they still have a show and an audience, and people are happy, right? People who watch the show are happy. Uh, but, but they do take it off of the main, the main enterprise. There's a difference. All right. There's a story that the left wants to ban gas stoves. Uh, apparently based on no data whatsoever, but they're not banning existing ones. They would ban sale of new ones, but I can't in my, I just can't imagine this will happen. Can you? Now they, they say it's because um, there's a you know ventilation problem in some homes. Probably, probably there is, but apparently there's no data to back it. And if you're well ventilated, it doesn't seem to be a problem <laughs> based on tests. So, I don't know. This is just a silly little thing. I don't think it's going to become law, but anything could happen. Did you know, according to the Wall Street Journal, that oil and gas 
production are booming in the United States. Gas production is an all-time high. All right. Now, here I'm going to do something that the Twitter people would never see. This is something I only do in long form, but rarely in short form. I'm going to say that the Biden administration did something right. Right? Not everything. But I do believe that from a purely financial perspective, um, squashing Russia's energy program is probably good for business. And I've said this before that I think there's a really good chance that the Biden-Ukraine focus, which never made sense to a lot of us, I think it's going to be a good investment. I, it's way too early to say, because anything could happen. You know, war is war. But at the moment, it looks like it's working as an actual investment. I never would... I never. Oh, NPR said it yesterday? Yeah, that could turn into a narrative. Now, here's where I'm trying to be an honest broker on this. If If Trump had been the one behind this Ukraine stuff, don't you think I would be saying it was a good investment? You would expect that, right? Because it looks like it might be. And so I'll, I'll just say the same thing about Biden. If, if what we did was spend, let's say in the end, we spent $200 billion. If we spend $200 billion and take Russia out of the energy game, you know, or degrade it enough so our energy program takes off, I think it was worthwhile financially. Certainly not in terms of life and destruction and the things that happened over there, but financially. So don't be surprised about that. I have a new strategy to suggest to the Ukrainians because I know they've been waiting for this. Um, So there's a little bit of news coming out that could be interpreted different ways. Here's something that the people who watch Twitter only will never know about me. I do not believe anything that comes out of Ukraine, pro or negative Ukrainians or Russians. It's all unreliable information. I do, however, speak about it in some, te- in some cases as if it's true. But I tell you that directly. I'm speaking as if it's true. We don't know. Can't, can't trust anything. All right? So one of the reports, as if it's true, is that the Russian artillery strikes are down 75% in some important places. Now, how would you interpret that? Is it because it's winter and there aren't going to be any gains either way and there's not much benefit of artillery? Is it because they're saving it for a big push? Is it that they're saving it for the spring? Or are they running out of artillery shells? Don't know, do you? But there's at least some suggestion that they might be running low on supplies or maybe running low on the actual artillery, what would you call it? The what would, what would you call the device that launches the artillery munitions? That would be uh, just artillery? Cannons? Guns? You call them artillery guns or mortars? Uh, well, launchers, whatever they are. So maybe, maybe they don't have enough launchers to do what they need to do. Who knows? But... I read an interesting thing. Uh, Oh, so another fact, again, don't believe anything, is that Patriot systems are coming to Ukraine soon. Those would be the defensive systems. At the same time, they're getting more Bradley armored vehicles for offensive moves. So 
if you were to just look at what you're told about Ukraine at the moment, oh, and one other thing, that apparently one of the biggest critics of Putin within Russia, who has not been killed, is uh, the leaders of the Wagner Group. So the Wagner Group, correct me if I'm wrong, they're mercenaries, right? So Russia is using a professional mercenary group that are Russians because uh, they, they're badass fighters and they're, they want to be there. They're volunteers. So, yeah, they're professional fighters. So the Wagner Group has been doing a lot of damage, and it's a big part of Russia's um, whatever success they get. I think the Wagner Group probably does a lot of it. So we know now that the head of the Wagner Group thinks he's not getting enough support from Putin. So he's actually criticized him, which is a big deal. Now, probably that's the only person in, in Russia who could criticize Putin right now because, because the Wagner Group is too important to the war effort that you can't kill the head of the Wagner Group right away. Maybe later. <laughs> but at the, moment, you know, at the moment, you can't kill the head of your most important military wing, probably. Yeah, and the Wagner Group was a big part of why Chechnya was um, eventually, what would you call it, suppressed. So here's my strategy for Ukraine. You ready? They should uh, retarget everything and put 100% of their efforts on the Wagner Group because you want that Wagner Group to complain even more than they are, right? You, you, want, you want to make sure that the Wagner Group know, knows that no matter what else happens, the Wagner Group will be gone. Because at the moment, they're part, of the, they're part of the bigger military. So I'm sure Ukraine you know, gives them a little special attention because they're effective, but they're still spreading their fire across multiple domains. My strategy is, for the winter anyway, focus all of your fire on the Wagner Group and make them complain until Putin has to do something. What's he going to do? <laughs> What's he going to do? Because the last thing he wants to do is turn the Wagner group against him. And then, before the Wagner group is completely defeated, you make him an offer to change sides. When there aren't many left. You say, I'll tell you what, we're just going to keep going until there are none of you left but we wouldn't mind having you on our side to finish this war. I doubt they would change sides. Maybe some would. But you want to to put those thoughts in everybody's head. Like it would only take one Wagner person to change sides, and then Ukraine knows how to turn that into propaganda. Just, Just one. Just one to say, oh, Russia's a waste of time. We'll make twice as much money for Ukraine. It looks like they're going to win. Boom. Uh, let me speak to our Brugman's uh, comment. Because remember I started saying nothing can be trusted. And our Brugman here on, uh, says uh, that Ukraine isn't winning anything at the moment. There's no winning going on. In fact, they've lost territory in, in the war so far. They have, Ukraine is smaller and in bad shape. So they're certainly losing in that sense. And they're not making gains on the battlefield, according to reports uh, that are not credible. And also, according to not credible reports, <laughs> uh, uh, the Russians might be gaining a little bit, but that's disputed. All right. So 
uh, does that satisfy you that I've added the proper context? That I do not believe you could say Ukraine is winning in, in the larger sense yet. But it looks like the, um, if you believe the reporting, which maybe you shouldn't, it looks like there is something that looks like a momentum shift that you can never be sure about because it's still war. Everything's unpredictable. But at the moment, it looks like a momentum shift. And then secondly, I'll just add that focusing on the Wagner group could probably get them to the end of this faster. That's what I think. Now, it could be that that's exactly their strategy, and I don't know it. All right. Now, once again, do you see how if I, if I did any of this on Twitter, I would not have taken the time to agree with the critic who says my context is insufficient? Because that con- I, I actually agree with your comment. My, my context was a little bit insufficient, and so you challenged me on it, and so I tried to shore that up a little bit. That's the way the long form works. If you think that should be happening on Twitter, you don't know what Twitter is. Twitter is just talking about that one little point, and it's all it means. The stuff you left out of Twitter doesn't tell you anything. But if I'd left that out of this, I think it would have told you something, right? Would you agree with that statement? If I had not taken the time to agree with you that you really don't know if Russia or Ukraine is winning or will win, that it would be missing and it would maybe be misle- misleading. So I added it. Right? It was the same problem with the pandemic stuff. All right, so that's my, the end of my prepared comments. And uh, is there anything I missed? Anything you'd like me to speak about that I have not? By the way, I, if you're following the SpaceX stuff with the, uh, the starships that... They have that big uh, tower that grabs them like um, chopsticks. Apparently, they have four of them that are all loaded and ready to go at the same time. When did that happen? (laughs) When did we go from, I think we can launch a ship like this to four of them fully loaded and ready to go? And it looks like they're, they're trying to gear up where they can just be launching spaceships all day long. Like literally, like an airport. Just launch them like an airport. Here's one, here's one, load one up, here's one. And then return them and load them up again. Uh, Apparently we'll be able to put some pretty heavy stuff up in space. And my first question is, what is all that stuff? Is it just satellites? At the moment it's just satellites, right? Or maybe something for the ISS, but there's, there's nothing heading to Mars, is there? How soon before... Musk actually sends something to Mars. And what would be the first thing? Uh, I'd love to know their planning. If I were doing this, the first thing I'd send would be robots, right? Wouldn't you send the Tesla robots to space? Assuming you had some way to recharge them, which you would. I think you would, right? Uh, let, Let me put a wild thought into your head. It might take a long time to get humans to Mars, you know, in any any kind of quantity. But we might have lots of robots there before then. If they can, if the robots can handle the um, the climate, etc. Do you think we'd ever get to the point where the robots could be uh, AI-driven and simply build a civilization to be ready when we got there? 
so that we didn't have to give them every order. We would just give them, uh, we'd give them an objective. The, the same way they're, they're, they're teaching robots now to assemble IKEA products successfully. So the robot can actually pick up the directions and then assemble something it had never assembled before. That's a real thing that's happening now. So if you could do that, could Musk get to the point, because he's building robots, they're, they're almost ready to launch, and they'll be the industrial kind. Could he get to the point where he, he could dump a, a shitload of robots on a planet and just say, build a civilization? Here, here's your endpoint, and then figure out what you got. You know, you're going to have to figure out what assets you have there, plus what you brought, and then figure out how to get to here, and just figure it out. And we'll, we'll show up when you're done. I feel like I could. Yeah, 3D printing. So you need some 3D printing. You might need to be able to mine, though. So here's a question for you. Are there any mineable materials on, the moon, on Mars? Yes. Do we know that for sure? You say many? Because every, every orb in space has mineable, good mineable stuff, don't they? like as far as we know, pretty much all of them, whether it's an asteroid or a planet, they all have something you could mine. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it, they would have the right mix of, of stuff because you know, the very least you would want is enough to build another robot. So let me ask you this question. Would Mars have all the minerals that would be necessary to build the robot that goes to Mars? Would it? It only needs to get close because if it's close but not completely, they can always send a rocket with the, the extra stuff that's hard to build on the moon, on Mars. Not the electronics. Because the electronics have rare minerals. We don't know if there are rare minerals on Mars, do we? So it might be that the rare minerals are the stuff you have to ship up there in the short run. But, but the rare minerals tend to be low weight, right? Let me ask you this. For a robot, what would be the total weight of uh, raw, raw, rare minerals? It would be just like a handful, right? Or less than that? You know, wouldn't it be just like an ounce? You know, maybe an ounce of raw materials for the entire robot? Everything else is common materials? Does that sound about right? Uh, you aren't running a... Yeah, you wouldn't be able to do chip fabrication right away. Or would you? Or would you? If if you knew what kind of chips you were going to make, you couldn't ship up enough equipment and build a an environment for it? Just impossible? It might be impossible. But I could also imagine that you could build a, a mini-fabricator. In other words, if, if the earth fabricators require a whole building and lots of systems, you don't think there's some chance, just like a nuclear plant is usually a big building with domes and stuff, but you can also build a little one and put it on a, on a submarine, which always puzzled me, by the way, <laughs> that, we, that for a long time we've been able to build little nuclear reactors for military, but not for... Not for uh, uh, Citizens, I've never understood why why that wasn't happening, but I imagine there's a way 
to build a mini self-contained um, chip fabricator, especially if it's only going to make one, one or two kinds of chips. It's just for the robots or something like that. Seems like it's doable because the engineering would still be off-site, so you don't need any administrative space. It's just the, the mechanical fabrication part. I'll bet you could fit that on a rocket or, or maybe several rockets in pieces, something like that. Uh, Russia is already... what? Uh, all right. Yeah, it'd be expensive, of course. It's all expensive. Yeah, they'll need those dilithium crystals, that's for sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm going to say goodbye to uh, YouTube for today and talk to the locals' people privately. Thanks for joining. Greatest live stream you've ever seen. <laughs>